The OWASP top 10, the section A9 is for components with known vulnerabilities. I would think that something like this would bump up the priority on that, right? Yeah, it's there for this type of reading, right? Yeah. Welcome to OWASP 24-7, sponsored by the Open Web Application Security Project, improving the security of software. With support from the Nexus Community Project, supporting millions of open source developers worldwide. Additional support provided by CatScan from Proactive Risk. Hi, this is Mark Miller with OWASP 24-7. We're continuing our discussion today on the Struts2 vulnerability that's popped up over the last week. Today, I've got David Blevins, the CEO of Tommy Tribe, and I've got Brian Fox, the CTO of Sonatype. They are both members of the Apache Foundation, so we're going to get some insight into what's going on, whose responsibility is it for what's going on, and then what you can do about it. So welcome, David. Haven't talked to you in a while. Yeah, how are you doing, Mark? Uh, <laughs> as we said before we cranked up the, the mics, everybody right now is pretty busy, right? <laughs> sure. I mean, obviously, uh, open source is in the news all the time, uh, as well as its relationship to commercial entities like Equifax. I mean, it's uh, there's many facets to that relationship. So, Right. Brian, welcome back. You and I talked last week when this first broke. Welcome back. Yep. Um, I, I think that one of the things that I'd like to start with, and David, I'm going to go to you first on this one because you seem to have a, uh, a, a real idea on this. When we talk about who is responsible, some people say, hey, well, it's really obvious who's responsible for it. Your response is different. Well, I, I guess I would have to say that, you know, I don't think we really understand um, how open source works and what that means for us as companies. And so when we are taking in the software, we are effectively taking ownership of it completely. You own it. It's yours. You're, you're taking that instead of building something for yourself, but I, I shouldn't even use the word instead. You are building something yourself. So, you know, unlike when you have a relationship with a commercial vendor who's legally on the hook for all the software that they provide you, nobody is on the hook when you take in open source software. You are the one who is at fault. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, there's a, a perspective about open source that prevents people from seeing the obviousness of this. When we, when, if I were to say the words donate and open source, what do you think of? Someone donating to an open source cause? Or do you think of the open source organization donating to the people who are using the open source software? It's actually the second one. Like, effectively, if I were to change the paradigm and I were to say there's a food bank and you walk up and you get free food, who's receiving the donation? It's obvious, the people who are receiving the free food. Right. If, you, if you give that free food in part or whole to your consumer base, you are responsible for all of it, and you don't even know where it comes from half the time. 
And so, you know, it's, it's effectively what people are doing when they use open source software. They are receiving a donation, a charitable nation, based on, and that effectively makes Apache the one of the largest food banks in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you were, la you were smiling and laughing the whole time. What's going on? No, I think, I think he's exactly right. You know, we always talk about donating our code to the, the foundation, but people don't really analyze the, the relationship between the consumers and the consumers are effectively leveraging that, that donation in their own and they need to make sure that they're comfortable with it and, and, and do the right thing with it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. David, you run one of the main groups that is actually managing one of the uh, uh, the Apache projects. You want to talk about that a little bit? What you what you're doing? Yeah. So uh, you know, we we of course have a partnership with you fine folks, and uh, and also you know, at a whole, we support open source software uh, and the people who use it, uh, and we try to help them have a healthy relationship with the open source software. And so, for example, you know, we do what's, you know, traditional support. You can call us when things are bad, but we also bake into our relationships time uh, allocated to them to say, hey, we need X, Y, and Z. And we basically push all that right back out to the open source. So we're effectively trying to make that relationship with open source and commercial entities bi-directional rather than just the one way. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the, the economics of open source and commercial software and its impact on our companies is something we just do not understand. Uh, we went from buying commercial software, paying crazy amounts of money, to buying open source software, paying nothing. There is a middle ground, and it's just a few percent above nothing. doesn't have to be the crazy amounts of money because, I mean, if, if you did the math on just the Equifax loss alone, they lost basically 3.5 billion off their market cap. The Apache Software Foundation in donations receives, and I should say donations being the incorrect, in, in meager uh, support <laughs> for the awesome stuff they give everybody, receives about a million to 2.2 a year uh, in funding. The money that, they, that Equifax lost in terms of their market cap is enough to fund the Apache Software Foundation for 2,833 years. I, I take it you've done the math. Uh, Brian, yeah. <laughs> Brian, is is putting money into a project like this, is that really going to make a difference if people have more money to run the project like that? No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, the, most of the code is written by people that are doing it in their spare time or for free or some of them are paid by companies to do it like like david's and ours to contribute back mm -hmm. um it's not about the money i think the point david is making is that you know people don't even think about contributing or supporting these things but yet right. the, but but not doing the right thing leads to these massive outsized losses i think that's really the point there not There's about a lack of awareness yeah, yeah. and we, we saw the same thing happen after uh, Heartbleed and Shellshock, right? All of a sudden, everybody's like, wait, this OpenSSL thing, there's like two guys that work on it and like the whole world depends upon it. Um, and nobody nobody really doing the right thing. So yeah, I mean, money can help, but it's not going to solve the problem because right. a lot of cases, the problem is, is um, people aren't putting the right controls when they're using these things. They're not paying attention to them, right? And, and um, you know, the, the Equifax one was un unfortunately shows the pattern repeating that we've seen in all of these major 
um, disclosures that the bulk of the hacks come after the disclosure, not before, right? The zero day is a problem. It's not the biggest part of the problem. And, and you know, people aren't even solving the easy part, right? So this particular struts thing was fixed and released in sometime in March of this year. And uh, best we can tell, the disclosure, they, they got attacked in May. So there's several months gap there. And unfortunately, in my experience, that's been the norm. You know, and, and I think it's because the way these components are so prolific, um, used in, in millions of applications, they're, they're a common mode failure across all of them. And the economics of an attacker are much easier to just find the thing that's already been disclosed and go find right. who's running it versus to sit down and try to break a specific application. Um, so, you know, we, we spend a lot of time building our applications on all these open source third-party components because it, it helps us uh, not have to reinvent the wheel, but if we're not paying attention, um, it can leave us open. And, and that's the real shame that it's should be easy to keep up to date with these things. Um, if, if you choose to, it is easy if you choose to. Um, and, and, uh, you know, a lot of people spend a lot of time, you know, throwing money at the network and all these other types of things, which are, you know, legitimate issues, but that's not where the front line is anymore. And, um, there's just not enough attention on that. David, that opens up one of the talks I had with somebody this week, which was the application layer is being attacked as much as the network layer is being attacked. So is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, as a support company, I can verify and, and attest that most of what we support is not the software that is on the label, but the software people put in the app server. Um, and, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're most often supporting other people's code that we have never seen. Um, and, you know, uh, security wise, it's very much the same thing. The stuff that they throw in the box, uh, is, is usually the stuff that has the vulnerability in it. Uh, you know, the, the deserialization types of issues that are, that are going around are, are, you know, pretty wide struck. I don't think we're close. To to fit to to nailing them all down, I mean they're they're discovered all the time, um, you know. And so uh, I, the the where where we see things happen is definitely, you know, uh, you know above even the operating system level. It's definitely mm -hmm. in even above the app server level because in the end, app servers do very little. Uh, it's the application layer where a lot of the risk is added. And uh, so if you're, you know, I don't think people have really put these two things together, but uh, your ability to protect yourself from security vulnerabilities is very much tied to this, what we think of as a very separate movement to go to an agile deployment uh, type of an architecture. We don't, we think of that in terms of responding to business needs and business change and continuous delivery, delivery. Someone should coin the, search, con, con, uh, coin the phrase continuous security, because that's effectively what's going on here. You know, is mm -hmm. we're taking, and, and if you're not ready to roll out those security patches uh, quickly, then as you point out, the moment a vulnerability is disclosed, you are basically your butts, your butts in in the air. You know, um, you know it's at, 
when these things are disclosed is when all the brunt of attacks happen and they sort of dot, you know, you know, diminish in, in attempts after many people have, have rolled them out. But, um, you know, as a service company, David, what at this point is a cherry pick that people can do now that the, this, the cat's out of the bag, if you want to use that cliche there, what should people do right now? Well, they should absolutely uh, grab the latest security patches of all the software that they're using immediately and roll it out. If they're sitting on a piece of software that's been end of life, which is, I do have to come back to that because a lot of the software that people use, they can't upgrade because it's been, it is simply not being released anymore. Um, you know, for example, one of the pieces of software that we have patched most recently is CXF2 because it's been three for a very long time. However, there's still a lot of people using two. Um, and, and there's a lot of vulnerabilities because it's a, it's a, it's a framework that deserializes a lot of stuff, you know? So we contribute those patches, patches back, but they gotta go upgrade everything, not to the latest major version, but at least get the security patches on there. Um, you know, they, I, I don't wanna be crass and plug your product, but they need to have some sort of scanning in place otherwise they simply do not know it is not like humanly reasonable that a right. large organization is going to scan all of their software that they have across their whole enterprise every day uh it's it's unrealistic uh that only helps part of it if they are using something that's end of life then they need to get a relationship with somebody who's going to patch that stuff for them great thanks um, uh, brian that that opens up then how are people, it's kind of a loaded question, how are people going to find if they're actually using this vulnerable component or not? Yeah, well, just to sort of follow on to what David said, um, you know, the, the issue is that um, people have not yet embraced the fact that these things are going to happen, right? Um, it's, it's like Agile, just embrace change and figure out how to adapt to it, right? Figure out that people are gonna change requirements on you. That's just the fact of life. Agile is all about that, right? DevOps is, is about similar types of things. And, and you know, being able to deal with these things starts with accepting that bugs occur. Some of them are gonna to lead to vulnerabilities. Some of them are gonna be really bad. They're gonna to happen to you. And so then you need to step back and think about, well, when that happens, not, not if, but when it happens, are we prepared to deal with it? Do we have a list of our applications? Do we know what components are in those applications? Right. Um, and how quickly can we find out about the, the problems, you know, assuming you have the first two, which is a huge leap. Most people don't have that. Mm -hmm. um, and then be able to actually uh, start doing something about it. And I think in the last, the last podcast, we talked about, you know, uh, with the Commons Collections one, a big bank took four months um, elapsed time to just figure out where they were using Commons Collections, right. and then they started the remediation. So that whole time, they they were you know wide open to these uh, common mode failure attacks, and um, and that's what we're seeing here, right? And uh, um, the the compounding effect of not keeping up to date um, is even worse because now if you do suddenly start paying attention and and want to update to the latest patch of Struts, for example, but you're you're on something that's three or four years old. Now, not only you're you're trying to deal with consuming the the patch fixes, but all of the functionality changes that have happened in between, right? And so, I think people really need to 
to, to change the way they're thinking about this and, um, and come up with an adequate strategy to keep up because it's not going to get better. Bugs are going to happen. I mean, vulnerabilities are bugs in most of these cases. And we've been writing software for how many decades now and we haven't figured out how to make it bug free? It's because we're humans. Right. Uh, it's as simple as that. I, I have to just be honest in terms of, you know, so the, the Equifax things, they were using the latest stuff as far as I understand or nearly, but I mean, minus the, the two month gap. I, I don't know if there were, I don't think there were several struts releases behind. Uh, but, you know, in a lot of enterprises that we see, uh, they are just simply unable to keep updating. I, I, what I'm saying is that they should update, and I'm gonna, I said something hot button right there, but there's a gap. Um, there's a gap in the market that's not been addressed yet, and that is the fixes usually happen on the latest maintained code uh, in terms of open source, but companies are often several, maybe a major version behind that, and they can't upgrade because of change it's like there's a lot of just this application level logic differences that they would have to retest all their code and and uh so it's not an easy rollout in a lot of situations getting at that only gets worse over time not better right right i understand i understand but but in practical in practical speaking every time there's a new major version of a, of a software out there it isn't always reasonable yeah. that the whole enterprise upgrades because they have a lot of apps that have been running for many years Yet, the open source organizations on whole only patch the stuff that's been out for the last maybe one to two years, maybe three. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a, there's a hole there um, where there needs to be security patching on s- software for longer duration than is currently done. I don't believe it's reasonable for open source organizations to do that because of the large quantity of, of software they have put. Uh, but there's, an, there's, a, there's a market gap there, and that, that needs to be filled by either vendors who are going to sign up to patch that software for, for, for companies. Um, I mean, effectively, sort of Red Hat does that on, on Linux-based stuff. Um, but there really is, I mean, like someone should set up a shop to patch Maven Central and, and, and have the old versions of software that's no longer being maintained by the respective communities just at least security patched. No logic changes, security patched. Uh, I think what a lot of organizations fear when they upgrade is all the logic changes. And if it was as simple as just rolling out security changes, we would see a lot more of it. And so I think we can shake our stick at uh, people and say they should always be upgrading, but uh, and they should. But uh, it, there are practical difficulties with that um, just, just, you know, on, on, on the, on the, you know, on the face of it, because there aren't security patches available for a lot of the software that they're, that they're using. David, it sounds like you're advocating for people to at least reach a certain baseline. And then for, uh, the software people that are actually generating the open source to update individual versions. I think that's what I just heard you say so that people can keep the applications that they have? Well, in the best case scenario, they should upgrade to the latest, even major version. It's usually not as scary as they think, so they should be doing that as much as possible. Um, you know, in the case where they're using, you know, if, if you're someone's using, an, you know, Tomcat 6, it's end of life, right? So uh, 
you either need to find somebody who's going to support you and create security patches for you, or you need to create them yourself. Creating them yourself, uh, you know, uh, is is, a, is an uphill battle, but you're already saving a bunch of money off of open source, so you know, <laughs> shave some off and spend it on that. You can use a tool like yours to to get notified if you when you need to go, go into action based upon our experience. If you're, for example, using Tomcat, it's going to be about eight to twelve times a year that you're going to have to update that. Um, you know, it's going to going to get harder and harder, or you find a relationship with somebody who's going to who's going to do that for you. Brian, one of the things that I think you and Josh Corman looked at after Heartbleed is how many people didn't patch or update, even when it was out. In, we saw like I think four hundred thousand instances where they hadn't been updated. Are we going to see that same thing here? Of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, and that's the unfortunate thing. And it's the easier, I think, of the, all the problems to solve. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, whenever I speak at conferences, you know, when I'm killing time before it starts, I always like to ask using struts one. There's always somebody, right? And it's been level 10 remotely exploitable for, I don't I've lost track of the years, like 13 years or something. Um, and, the, and the reason they say they're using it is because it just works. It works fine. We don't have a reason to upgrade. But they're not thinking about this other yeah. And that's the unfortunate thing. You know, when you can get a version that you're comfortable with the functionality and you're comfortable it doesn't have bugs, um, you know, functional bugs, it's it's nice. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Stay on it. But but the fact that there's so much attack, uh, so much focus on the application layer from attacks kind of blows that old model out of the water. And, and I think that's what we're struggling with right now. David, what are you seeing now over the next couple of weeks? So you've been in the community long enough here. You're a prominent member in the community. What's going to happen here? Uh, I'll give you the, uh, <laughs> the pessimistic answer. Once this is over with, we'll all go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I would love to give you a different answer, but I think it's going to take a number of heart bleeds and a number of, you know, uh, things like this in order to, uh, this one doesn't have a name yet. I, I don't know what. Uh, oh, a graphic is coming out soon, believe me. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, it, it's going to take a number of things like this for people to realize that, um, they're not invulnerable, that they're not going to, you know, there's, like I say, our, our, our evolution with, with, uh, with, with, so, with open source software specifically, I think is really at the beginning. We're still in our youthful 20s. We think we're invincible and we're going to last forever. Uh, we can just grab it, throw it out to production. Uh, we, we trust the people who made it. We don't know how they made it. We don't know how many, how many of them are making it. We don't know if they're patching that software while their you know, kids are being born in the hospital. Like I've literally cut a release with <laughs> one of my contributors on the other side. I was just at a, I was, I was literally at a conference working on a release. He was in the hospital where while his son was being born and we were cutting a release and, and we've had a lot of people true still, open source. still pe people still using that release. <laughs> and it has vulnerabilities in it, by the way. Brian, that, that's an interesting uh, question that you can actually extrapolate from. Is this a generational thing? Yeah, are the, the legacy developers, the people actually running the infrastructure now that are running the programs, 
Is what's going on? Yeah, you're shaking your head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something I've talked about before. Um, but but you're right. Uh, I think there is sort of this gap with the people who who are more senior in the organizations and who are leading and and allocating budget for these things. I think their experience with how software was developed doesn't consider the fact that the majority of today's applications are built out of these components. It, it, it harkens back to a day when we sat down with void main void and we just wrote everything. And yeah. so that leads you to secure the network, do some static and static analysis, looking for bugs in your custom code and just completely does not recognize the new reality. And, and that's one of the things we've been evangelizing for a long time. And, and you're right. It is somewhat of a generational thing just because it's not the mental model of how the software is developed is just, not quite kept up with how fast, um, you know, the software's changed. But the thing for me is there's almost an inverse. Uh, they're spending 80 to 90% of their budget uh, on, uh, not on open source, when open source is 80 to 90% of their application. Right. That's right. Uh, I, I would phrase it like this, like, uh, if you walked up to a CTO and you said, I got a brilliant idea, let's open our doors, we're going to let 300 developers in. I don't know where, who they are, but we're going to have them write a bunch of code. We're going to, they're going to be sitting in our building. They're going to write a bunch of code, and then they're going to leave. And we're going to put that out in production, and we're not going to upgrade it or touch it for three years. They would probably fire you before you even got to the end of the sentence. <laughs> but then if you spun it around and said, abracadabra, that's what we're doing right now, they would go, I don't like the sound of that. You go away. Yeah, yeah. But that's exactly what's happening. So, so if I were to say one thing, CEOs need to hold their CTOs accountable for the software that is in the four walls. When when, when things like this, like if you're a CEO and and you you should ask your CTO, are we using open source software and what's our plan for when we have a vulnerability? For when? Not if, for when. And any CTO should be able to answer that question perfectly. Okay, or, or say, I'll get you an answer. But we have to have an answer. You will get hit with a vulnerability. I mean, uh, uh, we speak to customers all the time and they always try and redline the contracts and say, if there's a security vulnerability, you're on the hook for it. It's like, nope, there's going to be. I, and at that, at that moment, the contract negotiations they're expecting us to go, oh no, our stuff is safe. And, like, and we go the other way. No, there's about 12 a year. You're gonna get one. We're gonna be there to help you through it, but we're not gonna pretend that that's not gonna happen. You need to know that this is a constant. Right. This happens all the time. It's not a once in a while thing. It's like literally per calendar month, there are new CVEs all the time. You are consuming a large amount of open source software, therefore, you're probably going to contract something, so to speak. And so, you know, you need to have plans in place. On, not for if, but when, you know, and you need to do fire drills probably. I mean, you really need to have an answer there. So if, if you're a CTO, ask, if you're a CEO, ask your CTO what the plan is and hold their feet to the fire until they give you one. Because otherwise, you know, if, if you look at just at Equifax, they set themselves back about 15 months of stock market growth. So all the work that the entire company did for 15 months 
That's the CEO's hard work keeping everybody's feet to the fire to grow that stock price up to where it was. And now they've rolled the calendar back 15 months. Everybody got undercut by one thing, by not updating, by not having a plan. You, you've got to get on this. That sounded like right. That was a nice way to end it, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah, I think I think nobody. I mean, certainly people would be upset, but I think the way people would feel about it, at least you know, the technical people like us would feel differently if it was truly a zero day, right? Because that also is inevitable. Those things are going to happen, and we need to. It's a whole different set of problems to try and make sure that you know we do better in in creating the open source code and our custom code and all those types of things. Um, those are inevitable too, but when it when it feels like it was preventable, it's just a totally different re reaction. The OWASP top ten, the section A nine is for components with known vulnerabilities. I would think that something like this would bump up the priority on that, right? Yeah, it's there for this type of reason, right? Yeah, yeah. I want to thank you guys very much. We're keeping on top of this as much as we can. Uh, I'll check back in with you uh, after this gets published, and then we'll keep the conversation going if you guys are willing. So thank you very much. We've been talking to David Blevins, the CEO of Tommy Tribe, and Brian Fox, the CTO of Sonatype, and I'm Mark Miller with OWASP 24-7. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to OWASP 24-7 with your host, Mark Miller, and music provided by the George Cole Quintet. With support from the Nexus Community Project, supporting millions of open source developers worldwide. Additional support provided by CatScan from Proactive Risk.